Welcome to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. My website is educateforlife.org. And uh, we've got all kinds of fantastic interviews up there with people from all over the world who have been influenced by Jesus and then are allowing Jesus Christ to go out and help them influence others. And obviously, um, you know, we're recording this right here. It's the day after, um, it's the it's Wednesday, November, uh, well, I'm, I'm blanking, Wednesday, November 3rd here. <laughs> the days are running into each other here. Uh, with everything that's happening with the election and uh it's been uh, everybody's on pins and needles if you've been you know paying attention which uh, i can't imagine you wouldn't be but everybody's wondering what's going to happen and, and a lot of people consider this election to be one of the most significant and big elections that's happened in quite a while i seem to hear that though every four years it's the most significant election but my guest today is tim barton of wallbuilders.com he's the president of wall builders that's a national pro-family organization and they focused on the history of america with an emphasis on the religious, moral, and constitutional heritage. And uh, Wall Builders has played a huge part in my perspective um, and how to play out my biblical worldview when it comes to government, when it comes to politics, when it comes to social influence. And uh, Tim, I just wanna say thanks so much for being on the show today. It's a pleasure to be with you, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I've read a ton of your, uh, your father's books and uh, your, your guys' articles, and uh, you guys have done a, an incredible job. You have an incredible ministry, wallbuilders.com. And uh, Tim, you know, I was thinking about who can I talk to about what we should be thinking about as we move into the next four years here. And, you know, a lot of people are wondering, okay, is it going to be Biden? Is it going to be Trump? And what does that mean for me as a Christian? And, you know, a lot of people have a difficult time taking their biblical perspective, what they know of scripture, and then taking that and then using that to influence their culture around them and what that means for sure. them. And um, can you just tell us uh, a little bit about your ministry? And then I'm really curious to know what you think is an issue that's relevant to Christians, regardless of who wins the election. And, uh, you know, as Christians, what do we do with the next four years? Absolutely. So first of all, our organization, Wall Builders, um, just to kind of preface it, we get our, our name from the Bible book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was... Uh, for, for the listeners, if you remember the guy who was part of the Babylonian captivity, who was one of the Jews who was captured, he ends up being the cupbearer for the king, but his heart is really toward his home. He, he, he looks at Jerusalem and sees it's been torn down, and he's really grieved that his, his nation, his hometown has been destroyed, and the king really has compassion on him and says, hey, if, if you want to do something, I'll help you. Go back and rebuild this thing. And, and the story of Nehemiah, the Bible book of Nehemiah, is really about Nehemiah going back and rebuilding Jerusalem. And it's interesting, some of the allies God brings in along the way, things uh, didn't go maybe as, as you would have expected as far as some of the people that should have been his allies actually were some of his biggest opponents. And some of the people you would think, that, like the king who had conquered the nation, right? That was part of his dynasty and legacy. He's like, I'll help you rebuild your hometown. Some of the allies didn't make sense, but it's, it's the journey of Nehemiah going back to rebuild his, his hometown, to rebuild his nation. People looked from the outside and told him, you, you can't rebuild Jerusalem. It's too big of a task. You don't have the manpower. You don't have the, the, the talented workers you need, but it was on his heart he wanted to do it. And he went back. And so, so the name Wall Builders comes from Nehemiah 2.17. We said, come, let us rebuild the walls that we may no longer be a reproach. And, and it kind of started back in the 80s for us as a family. My dad really felt impressed looking at America, that, that God was kind of giving him the call of Nehemiah for America, looking at all the trouble America was going through with a lot of the moral issues, uh, the, the lack of kind of biblical training, the foundation. And so 
he just really felt like God was calling him to help restore some of that biblical foundation of America, which is where we emphasize the religious, the moral, the constitutional heritage. As of now, we have one of the largest private collections of original documents and artifacts from the founding era. I'm, I'm sitting in a portion of our museum around me where we actually have letters from George Washington and John Adams and Thomas Jefferson and James Madison, right? Every major founding father that signed the Declaration, the Constitution, we have their writings. And what we can do is go back and, and see what they wrote about issues, about situations and circumstances. And what is mostly unknown for most Americans is that the founding fathers, although they certainly were not perfect people, most of them were people who not only knew who God was, but desired to have a relationship with God and be used by God. And, and this is where so much of our nation has a Christian underpinning. Uh, the moral foundations of the Bible are the foundation that's allowed America to be the most successful, prosperous, stable nation, freest nation in the history of the world. And we're able to show how the founding fathers use those biblical principles to do those things in America and, and going back actually to their own writings, which is really fun. So, so that's a lot of what we do, but it's, it's, all in an effort to help restore biblical foundations to America, to help get America back to those religious, moral, and even constitutional bearings that we've largely forgotten today. And, and as we sit here talking, we're just only hours after elections as states have been coming in. And so right now, as we're talking, there's a lot that's unknown. And I imagine if people are watching a couple weeks from now, there's still probably going to be a lot unknown because we expect there'll be some, some probably court cases with this, and it could go on for a long time. But one of the questions you ask, I think, is, is really brilliantly worded and stated in the sense of Christians ought to be thinking, what God has called us to do is not dependent on what kind of leader we have, right? As a Christian, we have the same calling as a Christian, whether we live in Guatemala or China or North Korea or, right, California, Texas. God's calling on our life doesn't change based on our geography or our leader. It's just that it's easier in, in a maybe fleshly sense to carry out sometimes the operation of what God has for us when you don't have to fear the persecution of a government, when you're able to do it in prosperity. Um, and so there's a lot of blessings in America that we shouldn't take for granted. Those of us that live in America, and actually I imagine there's probably people listening who did not originally grow up in America, right? Maybe they've been missionaries or maybe they moved to America and they recognize the blessings and abundance of America. One of the reasons we should care about our leaders is because our leaders help determine the direction of the future of the nation. And if we're going to be a socialist nation, if we're going to be a nation that still embraces freedom, that gives freedom of thought, freedom of choice, one of the things we saw in the midst of this coronavirus, obviously, and Kevin, out in California, you guys saw this more than many other states were some of the lockdown orders where, you know, you could go to the liquor store, but you can't go to church, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. okay, it's okay if you guys want to meet in public as long as you're protesting something, but yeah. don't meet in public if you're going to worship God. And, and this is where sometimes people don't understand that the leaders that we choose oftentimes will have such a direct impact on our life and even the way that we are able to worship God according to the dictates of our own conscience, to, to share the gospel. And the thought is, for so many people living in America, we have enjoyed the blessings and benefits of America so long that we don't recognize how unique and special those benefits are. And we think, well, well everybody has, has freedom. No, they don't right? The, the notion that we have the freedom of speech or the freedom of religion, most nations in the world do not have those freedoms. 
Yeah. And that's funny because I, you know, I teach students all the time and I had, I had a couple of students say today, uh, if Biden wins, I'm going to move, I'm going to move to Canada. And I was, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Canada's not a place where you have more rights than you do here in America, regardless right. of if Biden gets elected. And so a question for you, Tim, is um, over the past four years, as Trump has been uh, the president, what are some of the things that you, you look at, at uh, as, under a Trump presidency that were a benefit, something that uh, good that happened that you felt like, hey, this is moving in a direction I really wanted to see happen. What are some of those big things that you were, you were happy about his leadership? Yeah, that is a great question. And this is where one of the important things of, of how we kind of can determine uh, levels of leadership is we look at policies. One of the things that, that has gotten President Trump in trouble over the last four years is personality. And there was an awful lot of people that voted in this election that voted based on his personality, and even Christians, because Christians look and said, well, that's not a very nice man. Yeah. And, and I kind of want to pause people at times and be like, have you read the Bible before? Yeah. Because, right, if you look at Noah and Abraham and Moses, like you go through Hebrews 11, where the author of Hebrews points out that without faith, it's impossible to please God, and we have to have faith. And it gives examples of heroes of the faith. And you look at the list of people in Hebrews 11, you're like, that is a who's who of jacked up people. Yeah. Right? Those <laughs> are right. not really righteous, honorable people in, in all of their behavior. And so to say that someone is not a nice person, has a bad personality, that does not limit how God can use them. And especially if that person is seeking to be used by God. So looking at President Trump's policies, I, I never would have guessed this because I can tell you back in 2016, I, I was not a never Trumper. Uh, I was almost an ever-Trumper, but when it became President Trump and, and Hillary Clinton, the choice for me became very clear because as a Christian, one of the things that I think all Christians, we want to be guided by scripture and just very basic reading of the Bible. Matthew 5, uh, 6, Jesus tells us, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be filled. Matthew six thirty three, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We should be people that pursue righteousness. Well, Proverbs 14.34 tells us that righteousness is what exalts a nation. So, so righteousness should be a priority. And this is, again, where policy matters more than personality because policies impact righteousness far more than personalities do. And when it came down to, to Trump and, and Hillary Clinton, the things to me that I recognize impact righteousness are things like life. Because God is the author and giver of life. And no nation that's murdered more than 60 million unborn children could consider themselves a godly or righteous nation. That is yeah. a very unrighteous, ungodly thing going on. And so I thought, okay, so life is a very, very important thing. Religious liberty or freedom. The, the ability for us to be able to worship God according to our own beliefs and not be restricted by a government. Well, I care a lot about religious freedom, about the ability to worship God. Things like our position with Israel, where I am a big believer in Genesis 12, where God tells Abraham, I'm going to make you a nation, and I'm going to bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. I really do believe there's something to be said for us having a good relationship with Israel, not to say that Israel is perfect and, and doesn't make mistakes. Well, of course not, but it's kind of like a sibling, right? I, I can look at my brother or sister and go, okay, they make a lot of mistakes, but I love them. I'm going to support them. I'm going to try to help them where I can, and I'll tell them they're wrong if I think they're wrong, but, but I looked at some basic, to me, basic priorities and values and President Trump did a lot better on those basic values than Hillary Clinton did. And then when he got elected, I, I, I knew kind of President Trump, it was kind of like rolling the dice. We, we weren't really sure what we we're going to get, but I knew there was a better chance that we would get the right kind of policies from him when Hillary Clinton said, no, we believe, right, third trimester, abortion's totally okay, right? I mean, just extreme stuff that's obviously not okay. Well, yeah. President Trump 
Yeah, so, so Tim, um, from a practical standpoint, I mean, one of the things that you emphasized was religious freedom. You said, hey, um, you know, I, I appreciate that. So on a practical level, do you really think that we, were, we are in danger of religious freedom when it comes to, you know, Biden versus Trump or Hillary versus Trump? Do you think that's a real issue that we have to be concerned about as Christians? Well, I, I appreciate the question. I know it's rather rhetorical because I know if we look around us, I mean, we're, we're seeing this kind of stuff right now in the midst of a cancel culture. Yeah. We are being told that if we believe the Bible, we are bigoted, homophobic, racist. I mean, every slur they can throw at you, because if we say that we recognize that God created male and female, right? That, that actually God made biology and there are X and Y chromosomes, right? And, and there is such a thing as, as gender. That's not just a biological construct that was created by a man. No, no, God made them male and female and actually... God made marriage as this sacred covenant between a man and a woman for a lifelong union was God's design. Matthew 19, Jesus said, for this reason, a man leaves his father and mother. He's joined with his wife. The two will become one. What God has put together, let nobody come against. There's a lot of basic biblical teachings that if you hold those positions today, in the midst of cancel culture, you will literally be canceled. So much so that one of the things we've seen Kamala Harris, uh, Vice President Joe Biden promoting is that we need to do things to protect the LGBTQ plus community. And so if you hold positions that are offensive, that are bigoted, that are homophobic or racist, so what they're saying is if you hold a biblical position that affirms not only what we have agreed in humanity for the last thousands of years of human existence, but if you believe what the Bible says, then you're a bad person. And maybe, actually, like literally, this, this is not some 1984 weird book we're talking about. There yeah. are literally people talking about you should go to re-education camps. You should go to psychologists and let them retrain you so that you recognize your own bias, your own bigotry, your own homophobia. And like, it's unbelievable, but this is where just having a Christian perspective, like this is literally part of the Biden-Harris campaign. And yeah. so this is one of those things that I think a lot of Christians were just so naive in their positions on some of this, not recognizing the threat that is to actual Christianity. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, my guest today is Tim Barton. For those of you just tuning in, wallbuilders.com. You can check him out there. Um, and, uh, of course, this recording will be up on Educate for Life. You can check it out um, later on on social media and so forth. But, Tim, um, you know, so we're here on Wednesday night here. Uh, I believe it's Nevada has said they're not going to announce anything till tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Um, and, you know, God forbid, uh, Trump is not elected, and um, we end up here with four years of Biden. What does that mean for us as Christians as far as, you know, a lot of people, get, they become hopeless and, and they feel a, a despair over this yeah. sort of situation. And um, I love what you were saying about Nehemiah and the, the fact that he went out, he started rebuilding the walls, the circumstances look pretty dire. I mean, he's literally got a sword in one hand and he's, he's you know, got the uh, uh, bricks in the other hand and he's trying to yeah. fend this off. Um, so what would, what would, what do we need to focus on as Christians over the next four years? Let's say Trump isn't elected. What do you think is our, our way forward? Well, actually, I, I would say that no matter what happens, obviously we know God's on the throne. And so not, not to be like this churchy, silly answer. No, like I genuinely believe that. I'm not worried about this. You don't have to worry about who holds or what the future holds when you know who holds the future, right? So I'm really not worried about what's going to happen, how the courts decide this thing. With that being said, the notion that if President Biden, or in this case, Vice President Biden becomes President Biden, and 
honestly, we don't expect him to be president very long before Kamala Harris takes over. So really, you're looking at probably a Harris presidency more than a Biden presidency. I would expect to see a lot of, of restrictions come against Christians. A lot of religious liberty come under attack, which I will tell you, it's one of the things I think is very favorable about having Amy Coney Barrett being confirmed to the U.S. Supreme Court because yeah. she does recognize the Constitution protects our religious liberty. One of the things that the Founding Fathers acknowledged was we have God-given rights, and then they lay this out in the Declaration. We have God-given rights, and then the role of government is to protect our God-given rights. And here's what is so important that I think we've largely forgotten in American culture is we we so often resume, well, I have this right. I have a right to this, and it's my right. You only have the rights that are politically protected. At least those are the only ones that you can be able to enjoy and utilize. Because if yep. it's not politically protected, we could argue, well, yes, you have the freedom of speech. If you go over to a predominantly Muslim Middle East nation, you do have the freedom of speech. But over there, if you say something they don't like, they might execute you on the spot, yep. right? Yep. So, so you have the freedom to still say that, but if it's not politically protected, you do not get to enjoy that God-given right of speech. And this is where, for example, in France right now, they actually have a law in France against proselytizing. Proselytizing is sharing the gospel. It is against the law to share the gospel in public in France because they passed a law against proselytizing. So, so we could say, no, no, I have, the, I have the freedom of religion. Well, God has given you the right to choose what religion you want to be. God's given you the freedom of choice. God has done that. And we as Christians should be encouraged to go share the good news of the gospel of Christ, right? The hope, the redemption found in Christ. We should want to share that with others. But if it's not a politically protected right, then we will not be able to utilize that freely and enjoy the freedom of that. And this is where one of the things that I think is very possible under a Biden-Harris administration is we will see a restriction on many of those freedoms. Now, the good news, I will tell you, is that historically, the church has always thrived under persecution, right? And that's nothing we ever want to hear because as Americans, we've lived so comfortably for so long, but comfort leads to complacency. And the American church has become one of the laziest churches in the world, mm. right? And, and I'm not trying yeah. to be offensive to anybody, although sometimes the truth is offensive, yeah. right? And Jesus <laughs> didn't mind hurting people's feelings sometimes. Yeah. This is, right, being said in love, but, but we, are, we have become very lazy. And even in this notion of, of, of sharing the gospel, right, what we so often think is, well, let me just bring my friends to church and I'll let my pastor do the job. No, 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 the church is supposed to equip us to go as saints, to go to the work of the ministry, right? Yeah. It's not pastor's job to lead my friends to the Lord. That's my job. But we've gotten so used to in America letting somebody else do stuff for us. We're, we're so complacent. And we really haven't had to have that moment where, I mean, almost like for, for Peter, right? When after the garden and he's following Jesus and, and, and Jesus is going through all these going through and these trials and, and the little servant girl sees Peter, right? Well, you're one of them too. He's like, oh no, not me, right? We haven't been put in a place where we actually were, were threatened with being a follower of Christ because it's always been the norm in America. It's, it's been the comfortable position to say you were a Christian in America. Mm -hmm. It's only been in the last so many years, maybe the last decade or two, that actually Christianity is losing its flair and flavor in America. And the only reason it's losing its flair and flavor is because the church has become lazy. And we haven't done a good job of reaching our communities, of reaching our friends, of reaching our coworkers, because if we've done a better job of loving them and sharing the gospel, then instead of America being 72% that identify as Christian, 
and less than 6% that have a biblical worldview, we would be closer to that 80, 90% disciple mark, where not only are people knowing the gospel, knowing who Jesus is, but they've learned how to live like Jesus. And so this is where, regardless of who wins, right, I, I'm not worried or discouraged, but I do think, I see positive either way, because if, if Trump wins, I do think maybe that's, that's a merciful gesture from God, where he's saying, I'm giving you guys a little more time to enjoy the freedom, but you better straighten this act out, right? You better yeah. get your stuff together, or it's, I mean, the, the father disciplines the son he loves is what the Bible tells us. Yeah. And God loves us, right? And, and you read the entire Old Testament. How many times did God let Israel choose, and they chose poorly, and God's like, all right, well, here's the consequences of that poor choice. And when you get tired of those consequences, you just let me know, and I'll come back and help you again. Yeah. Would you say, Tim, um, and my guest today is Tim Barton, wallbuilders.com. You can check out the resources. It's incredible. I have a ton of the resources myself and I've learned so much. Um, would you say, Tim, would you say that we have been in a place like this before in history as a, as a historian, as somebody who studies history? Um, you know, a lot of people are saying, hey, these are dire times. Um, historically, would you say that America has been in a place like this before? Um, or is this brand new, what we're going through? Yeah, it's a really good question. So, so first of all, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 3, there's nothing new under the sun, right? So, so the notion that it's a brand new thought, and, and it could be new for our nation, right? Maybe not new historically, it could be new for our nation, except it's not really that new for our nation. Although you might have to go back to the Abraham Lincoln era to find a time when our nation was so divided. We're, we're yeah. literally... Right back in the Lincoln era, there were people going to the streets and there were people ready to fight and, and brother against brother, neighbor against neighbor, the kind of stuff that we are seeing with this division. And, and we know, I mean, Kevin, as believers, this is something that w without God's help, without the help of the Holy Spirit, without the love of Jesus, regenerated hearts, these are things that are, will not be resolved with any new leader, with any new political system or structure. These are things that we need God, right? We, we got to be able to help with the love of God, reach our neighbor, let the Holy Spirit work on our hearts, soften their heart. We, we need a move of God and a revival, but this is not a brand new thought in America for us to be this politically divided. It has been since about the time of the Civil War, but one of the things that is very consistent when you look at this nation is that when there were moments like this, when America was incredibly divided, God consistently raised up leaders in those very tenuous moments. And, and you see that God still had a plan and, and so this is our prayer right now, as, as we're seeing these tenuous moments in America, we recognize God still has a plan. Now, it's not beyond the realm of possibility for God's plan to give us a little spanking. And I mean, no nation's lasted forever, right? I mean, just yeah, historical yeah. reality, no nation's lasted forever. This could be the end of America. We pray it's not. And I don't think God's done with America. I really don't. I, because I am a Christian, I will always be the hopeful optimistic because we know what's impossible with man is possible with God, yeah. right? So, so we know that God can do something great and that God can cause all things to work together for good for those that love him or call according to his purpose. We, we know what scripture teaches. So we know this is not beyond hope, help, or redemption from God. But in the midst of this, we recognize that whatever happens, our calling as Christians doesn't really change. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, you said something that, you know, some, you, you, you gave voice to some people's opinions, which is that uh, some Christians feel very, very um, down in the sense that, hey, uh, this could be the end of America. I hear this frequently from some leadership and so forth. Um, and uh, obviously the socialistic tendencies that we're hearing from, uh, you know, Biden and so forth are a big part of that. Um, did the, and, and socialism 
as we understand it, or, or Marxism as we understand it, came far after the founding fathers established America. Was that something that was ever on their radar? Was that something that they, you know, in your studies, was that something that they ever warned against? Um, why is it that people are so afraid of socialism? Why, why is there this giant fear that seems to be this whole, um, hey, this could be the end? Because a lot of, you know, a lot of people on the other side are saying, hey, this is a good thing. We're going to provide yeah. med medical uh, care for everybody. This is a good yeah. thing. I mean, on, on Biden's agenda is a free college education for any family that makes under $125,000 a year. I mean, a lot of people are like, are you kidding me? Why, why would we not want that? So yeah. can you speak to that from a, from a founding father perspective? Is that something they warned against? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so, so, so many thoughts with what you just said, because there's a lot <laughs> of people yeah. that are going there. And, and we could talk about, right, biblically, historically, constitutionally, which are probably all good areas to look at. You know, first of all, this notion that, hey, if, if somebody's promising to give me free college or promising to give me money, I mean, even during some of these coronavirus lockdowns, there were people making more money at home than they were making on their jobs. They didn't even want to go back to work, right? Oh, yeah. I'm making more money without <laughs> having a job. Why would I ever want to go back to work? And so this notion, right, if somebody's going to pay for my college, I'm going to let the guy who's, I'm going to get free college. There's actually no such thing as free college, right? Somebody's actually paying for that. And That's so right. who's actually paying for that? And this is one of the interesting things. If you look at scripture, you, you can go to the book of Acts. And Ananias and Sapphira are an interesting example. Because in the book of Acts, they did have this moment where a group of believers came together and they wanted to share everything. Now, it's worth noting, that group of believers did it not by compulsion of government, but because they came together in a social compact just from their own mutual agreement understanding, we're going to share together. And nobody was forced to give anything they didn't want to give to share in the community. But that's why Ananias and Sapphira, they wanted to fit in, right? And really kind of the pride of their hearts. They were like, well, if everybody else, we will too. And so they sold land and they came and they said, here, we made all this money and we're giving it all. And the disciples were like, this is all really? And so we know the story, right? They lied. God struck them down. What was interesting though, is what the disciples told them is you actually had the choice. You didn't have to give it all. You could have kept whatever you wanted, but you lied. And that was the problem. Now, the big picture is in socialism, you don't actually get the choice to keep whatever you want. Socialism, and this is where a lot of people confuse socialism because we often think of socialism as sharing or helping people in need. And as Christians, we want to help people in need. It's just, we would probably differ in response of how it happens. We understand that if you look at the Bible, God made family, God made the institution of the government, and the institution of the church. So there's three institutions that God made from the individual. Those three institutions exist. In those institutions, they were all given different responsibilities and different functions. And if you read the Bible and you look up verses on when the Bible talks about caring for the poor and needy, there's not a single verse where the Bible tells the government to care for the poor and needy. The only thing the Bible ever tells the government is give them justice when they're in courts. Don't show favoritism against them in justice. So it's really just justice because that was government's job is to uphold the standard of justice. It was the role of the church and the family to help people in need. And so this is not government's job. And this is, again, where so often we push that on to somebody else. In America, more now to back up this thought, actually, we tried socialism twice. We tried it in Jamestown and we tried it in Plymouth. And if you go back and read the history of Jamestown, socialism in Jamestown led to what was known as a starving time. And the starving time is one of the most uh, troubling histories you will read in the history of America because they had more than 600 people leading into this winter of the starving time. When they finished the winter, they're down around the 200 number. And that winter, not only did they eat 
all of the cows, all of the horses, all of the dogs, all of the cats, when they ran out of animals to eat, they then went to the local cemetery, they dug up the graves in the local cemetery, and they found people whose bodies had not fully decayed. They began eating, because they're, they're literally starving to death. And part of the reason wow. they're starving to death is because they were expecting the king to provide for them because they had come from this kind of serf, lord, noble class system where they worked and they had nobles and lords over them. And so they would work for the lords and nobles and they'd have to go in the field and they put in their 10 hours or 12 hours a day in the field. And then at the end of the day, they would get right their due for what they did. They, they were not used to being individually responsible for themselves or providing for themselves. That was a new thought for them. So they came to Jamestown and they were expecting the king to provide for them. Well, the ships were not coming across with the food they were expecting and they didn't know how to provide for themselves. And so they began starving to death. They actually turned into cannibals where there are accounts of not only did they eat people that were in cemeteries, they then began killing and eating each other. One man actually killed his wife and, and she was pregnant. I mean, just the, the story is graphic. It's gruesome. It's terrible. But, but this is the reality of when you embrace socialism in its full extent, one of the problems that happens with it, is socialism doesn't account for the laziness of man. And so if the notion is that everybody is going to do whatever work they can, so each according to his ability, each to each according to his need, the problem is people realize if we're all getting the same, no matter who does how much work, then I don't need to work that hard because I'm going to be able to get the same no matter if I work or not. Productivity declines so much that soon you don't have enough to go unless you have the government there forcing you into it. And that's why socialism almost always leads to communism because mm. you have to have the government that's now compelling you to work or you won't produce enough. Well, well, Plymouth tried a similar idea. Now, the pilgrims in Plymouth had a very different heart and notion. They actually were trying to follow more of the, the Bible model of the book of Acts, and they called it the common storehouse system. And they said, well, let's just share together, but you can go back and read Governor Bradford's journal. And he said that we presumed that we were wiser than God because God himself told us if a man should not work, he should not eat. And God was the one who told them, right, also that a man should provide for his own family. Governor Bradford says, like, this is not what we were doing. And so Governor Bradford says that they changed their – and now this was after the first winter where most of them or half of them died that first winter. And Governor Bradford said people began faking sickness and injury, and, and they couldn't keep up the productivity, so they weren't having enough food and fuel and shelter and everything else. So Governor Bradford says, from now on, every family, you get your own plot of land. And every family is going to grow their crops in their own plot of land. And whatever you produce, you can eat it, you can sell it, you can trade it, but you are now responsible for yourself. They became the most productive colony in the entire English system. Within seven years, they had opened up their own trading house, free market trading house, which was the first successful entrepreneur free market trading house in America called the Aptuxic Trading House. So we, we tried socialism in two different colonies. Both of them were miserable failures. And this is where, if, if we just look historically, this notion of socialism, and by the way, socialized medicine is different than economic socialism, which socialism in its whole is the government controlling the means of production and government controlling private property. What most people talk about is socialized medicine, which is not fully socialism. They just kind of confuse those two thoughts. Yeah. But under socialism, if you look historically, the only question I need to know is, can you show any examples where a nation has turned socialist and the people got more prosperity and more individual liberties or freedoms? Where, where I'm going to make money and I'm going to be free. In the history of the world, it's never increased prosperity or freedoms for any nation in the world. 
Well, in America, we like money and freedom. So, so if that's what we like, that's not the kind of system we want. It's not what the Bible teaches. It's not historically accurate. And it's never worked in the history of the world. Oh, that's a fantastic answer. What a, uh, that's, that's great. Now we just need more people to hear that. <laughs> so I guess that's my, my question here is, is that, you know, uh, the public schools, it's really, we live, we live in such strange times, right? Uh, here in San Diego, our school is one of the only schools that's open where kids actually can come to school. All, almost all the other schools are either only one day a week or whatever the case, but this, so we have this incredible change in the education system. And that's kind of my next question for you, because I know uh, one of the first books I ever read um, from Wall Builders that your father wrote had to do with 1962, 1963, yep. and then the changes that took place after that because of the changes in the education system. And so when, when we look at this situation and we say, well, how did we get here where so many people want socialism? What, what in the world uh, do we have this system where everybody's begging for handouts all of a sudden in America? And how do we reverse that? You know, and this is kind of my question along the same lines, Tim, that has to do with what's the way forward, regardless of whether Trump is elected or whether Biden is elected, um, when it comes to, uh, you know, reversing this trend towards yeah. socialism, uh, you know, what's your plan here? You help me out, Tim. What, what, you know, those, those who don't know their history are destined to repeat it. So, Absolutely. you know, your history. So, uh, give us some guidance in that area. What are your thoughts? So, so what's always made America different and special has been the in, impact and influence of the Bible in America. And what we have lost so much in modern culture is the impact of the Bible. And part of the reason we've lost that, I, I don't even blame the education system. Now, certainly, you mentioned in 1962, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that prayer was no longer allowed in public schools. 1963, in a dual decision, Abington, Shemp, and Murray Curlett, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that we were not going to have the Bible in schools anymore. And so there was a very deliberate effort by an overactive judicial branch that said, we're not going to let God be there anymore. And, and so that changed a lot of what happened. But I'm going to point to the church because— Obviously, when we took the Bible out of schools, that's, that's a huge thing where kids, most of the learning that kids do, right, at least academically, they do in school. So they're not on the Bible, there's a problem. But, but how have we gone for how many decades? And, and we're looking at culture around us. Why is abortion permissible? Why, where have we lost the value of life? Well, it's because Christians haven't done a good job teaching. That, that life is sacred because God is the author and giver of life. Psalm 139, Jeremiah 1, 5. Or you take this notion, right? Even as we, we mentioned socialism, how have we gotten here? Explain to me 2 Thessalonians 3.10, where Paul says, right? Have you not heard from the beginning? If a man would not work, he should not eat. Like, how do we balance that? Because the Bible says, if you're going to be lazy, if you're not going to be productive, you shouldn't be rewarded with food. And I sometimes joke with parents, right? Like, this is where we start with chores, right? Yeah. <laughs> Tell your kids, hey, you want to eat dinner? Go clean your room. But like, th this is literally what the Bible teaches. God did not make us to, to be takers. God made us to be producers. Where Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. In me, you will produce much fruit. God made us to be producers. In fact, if you go back to Genesis. And this is where Christian worldview, we have done a terrible job of teaching even biblical worldview of why, why do we even exist on this earth? Well, go back to Genesis, right? When, when God is creating everything, it's very fascinating. In Genesis 2, 5, and then in Genesis 2, 15, it says that God created everything in the Garden of Eden. God saw that it was good. It says, but God saw there was no one to tend the garden. So God makes Adam, verse 15, God makes Adam and God put Adam in charge of the garden. Here's what's interesting. 
we, we get this notion from like Westminster Shorter Catechism that the chief end of man is to know God, right? Enjoy him, glorify him forever. That This is kind of our notion. We're here to love God and, and to worship God. Well, that's true. But, but in this case, love is actually an action and a verb, right? It's our behavior. We love God more through our lifestyle than our words, right? Actions speak louder than words. God put us here actually to be stewards of what he has created, of what he has done. And part of that stewardship we can read in, in the gospels, right? The parable of the talents, the parable of the mind is we are stewards of what the master has left with us. And, and so that could be relationships, that could be family, that could be business. But in our case, it does include this nation because we are here. Christians have not done a good job of explaining what basic Bible stuff is. And so most Christians grow up without a biblical worldview. And that's why the, the, the only way you can embrace socialism is you don't really understand what the Bible teaches. Because if you read in the gospels, right? And you can pretty much pick a gospel and I can pick a parable out of one of those gospels. And what you will find consistently, Jesus taught so many parables on money. And, and Jesus, in many of those parables said, to him who has more will be given, mm. right? Who did yeah. he reward? The one who made 10. I'm like, th this is consistently what Jesus did. Jesus didn't reward the unproductive. And, and, and actually, for anybody who's ever had a job, right, anybody who's ever been a business leader, this is not confusing. I, I help run an organization, <laughs> right? We have, yeah. we have 20 employees. If I have an employee who's lazy, who's unproductive, who has a bad attitude, who shows up late, like, th this is a person I'm not rewarding. In fact, that person's probably going to get fired. This is just basic, basic yeah. thoughts. And, and yet in Christianity, we have not communicated basic values, principles, and morals from the Bible. John Adams said about America that our constitution, which the, the foundation of all government in America is our constitution. That is where we get the rule of law in America, the U.S. Constitution. John Adams says our constitution was made only for a moral and a religious mm -hmm. people. He said it's wholly inadequate to the government of any other. The reason that... It, our America and our constitution will not work without people that are religious and moral is because our constitution was designed to give freedom to the people. But freedom only works if you have a moral people. Because yeah. if you give freedom to immoral people, like this is what Portland has been dealing with for months. People have been rioting and burning down. You can't give freedom to immoral people or it threatens everybody else. Freedom only works if you have a moral people, but you only have a moral people through the instruction of religion. And the founding father said, the best religion that's been given to man by God is Christianity. So unapologetically, unequivocally, they said Christianity is what allows America to be free. And this is where the church has not done a good job of promoting the morals and the values of Christianity, even inside the church. Because way too many Christians are confused about issues that in the Bible are not confusing, which just tells me that Christians don't know the Bible, which to me, then I point to the church and say, well, that means the church isn't doing a very good job of helping teach the Bible or more Christians would know what was true. Yeah. Amen. So, I mean, that's a big part of what we need to do as we move back, you know, we're going to this and, you know, I think what you said is makes a lot of sense is that sometimes God lets us, um, you know, you made your bed now sleep in it. And um, maybe that then you'll remember, you know, who I am and what I did for you and, and uh, why I gave you the word of God, why I gave you the Bible and, and you guys can get back on track because you're, you're way off base right now. Uh, and so, you know, that makes a lot of sense what you're saying there. Um, so from, from a perspective, from that perspective, uh, you know, I, I don't think a lot of what you explained when it comes to the founding fathers and the way they set it up, a lot of Christians are completely unaware of that. Um, although you guys have been making great headway into, into doing that sort of stuff. And, and, um, I think 
um, our one of my pastors out here, uh, Pastor Jim Garlow, uh, very uh, good friends with David Barton for a long time, and and uh, I always love his messages because he's so um, into you know our our history and how the country was founded and why it was founded this way, and so you know what what we're battling a large percentage of uh, a lot of propaganda that's moving in the opposite direction, and so. Um, you know, from your perspective, it's just a matter of getting that information out there to the people that, that need it and, and educating them and everything. Um, I look at my school, for example, right? So I teach a lot of what you're talking about in my class. We talk about a biblical worldview informing our, our politics and our government. Um, but, but the stats right now are that only 5% of kids attend a Christian school in America. You know, somewhere around 90% or so are, are going to public schools where they're getting indoctrinated. And you know, again, if, if Biden is elected, he wants to expand free public education, which right. essentially gives the government a monopoly on education. And, yeah. and, and kids are spending more time in their, more time in their schools than they are in, right. um, in church or even with their, their parents. Correct. And so um, how, how do you, how do you deal with that? So uh, to add on to that, so also the Biden-Harris administration does not believe in school choice. They don't believe in a voucher program. They don't even believe in charter schools. They think there should only be one system of education, and that is the government-run education, which, again, I would point out, that's not really a biblical position, right? Because the position of parenting or raising children was given to parents. It wasn't given to government. Education is not a government job. That is a parent job. Now, parents can partner with somebody to help them do that, but if they're going to partner with somebody, it would make way more sense to partner with the church. In fact, in early America – Pretty much it was churches that were helping run schools, and that's the way it was all the way up through largely the 1800s. It wasn't until really kind of the birth of some of the progressive movement in America that a lot of that changed, and, and schools really moved out of churches, became their own independent buildings, and then became increasingly secular over time as progressives took over. And one of the things I think is a challenge, even educational big picture, what we do not have in America is a desire to know, pursue, or defend truth. In fact, we say that, that truth is relative, it's subjective. I have friends who have been teachers in the public school system. And one of the things they were taught in their, really their indoctrination camp, right? But in, in their teacher training was that if a student asks you a moral question, the proper response from a teacher is, you need to tell the student that you need to do whatever you think is right. Yeah, yeah. So we're literally, we're telling kids, well, whatever you think, you just do. No, the job of the teacher, the job of the parent, the job of a leader is to help guide, shape, and instruct because kids have not learned that yet, but, but we are living now in a structure where truth is relative, truth is flexible. And, and I tell Christians, right, as much as we talk about we want to, to defend the truth of the word of God, absolutely, I agree with that, and we should. It's worth defending. Yeah. With that being said, though, we have to learn to defend truth in general because Truth is not going to be won or lost in the issue of biblical truth. It's going to be won and lost in the issue of relative or subjective truth. Mm -hmm. And if we live in a culture where everybody says that everybody gets to determine their own truth, all of a sudden the gospel will not be effective in that culture because people will say, well, that's your truth. That's not my truth. The reality is there's no your truth, my truth. There is the truth and our opinions. But yeah. until we become defenders of truth or promoters of truth, and this is why even for us, looking at the founding fathers, where there's so many blatant lies being said about America, that America is systemically racist and we're evil and all these things. It's not true. America, even like the position of slavery, okay? America, it's true. America did have slavery. And, and, and you can say it's a really bad position. I agree with you. It's a bad position. 
But if we're going to talk about the history of slavery in America, let's also point out America was the very first nation in the history of the world, March 2nd, 1807, to pass a law banning the slave trade. America was the fourth nation in the history of the world to actually ban slavery. 1865, at the end of the Civil War, when slavery was banned, there were 124 nations in the world. We were number four in banning slavery in our nation. 120 nations still had slavery after us. We were one of the first. So, so we started earlier, and arguably we paid a higher price to end slavery than any nation because it was after the Civil War, more than 600,000 lives were lost. And even if you look at slavery today, slavery still exists today. And, and the United Nations is a gathering of all the nations from around the world. There were 193 member nations at the UN this year. 94 of those nations still have not passed laws banning slavery in their nation. Wow. Slavery still exists today. There's more than 40 million people that are literally enslaved today. 9.2 million in Africa. They're slaves in China. They're slaves in India and Indonesia. Like literally around the world, there are slaves. And yet, what we hear in America, there was a, a, a Democrat senator this year who said America created the institution of slavery. We, <laughs> right? like, that, that's so idiotic, yeah. right? Like, obviously, as Christians, we can go back to Genesis. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. But even if you don't know the Bible, how did you miss, like, the Greeks and the Romans? Yeah. This is the nonsense that's being said. If we don't become defenders of truth, if truth is lost, all of a sudden, as Christians, we're going to have a much harder time engaging a culture who doesn't believe truth exists. It's a lot easier if people believe truth exists to present the truth of the gospel. And this, again, is why it's so important as Christians that we engage in culture. But first, we have to know the word of God so we know the truth, we stand on truth, and then we present that truth to others. Awesome. Man, that's awesome. Tim, um, you know, that, uh, those, some of that stuff that you just quoted there, uh, is that available on your website for because that's valuable information that you're that you're quoting there um, that a lot of people are completely unaware of is is that all on your website? Yeah, so so wallbuilders.com we have a lot of articles and, and, and dealing with some of the heroes who are under attack, some of the statues that are being torn down. So there's articles that deal with the slavery in America, that with Christopher Columbus or George Washington. We actually just like a month ago came out with a brand new book called The American Story where we start with Christopher Columbus and we go through the end of slavery in America. We worked on this, Kevin, for almost three years. And it's actually just providential that it was coming out at a time when there was so much chaos and so much vitriol and hate against America. But most people don't even know the story of America. So wow. even though America is not a perfect nation, what we point out in the book, right, everybody is sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So our starting place is that nobody's perfect, which means no nation is perfect either. And there definitely are moments in America's history that America did sinful, wicked, evil things because we had at moments really bad, sinful, wicked, evil leaders. And, and, and some leaders who generally tried to be good still had fleshly moments, right? So, mm. so nobody's perfect. Everybody messed up. But the story of America is so different because it's the story of how a perfect God used so many imperfect people and did great things to advance civilization, to advance equality, to advance society. In fact, every atrocity that people point to in America, one of the things that's worth noting, and one of the questions worth asking, is how did that end in America? Or, or what, what brought that to an end? Because for example, when people talk about slavery in America, okay, here's the question. How did slavery end in America? And here's what's amazing about the American story. Without exception, every single atrocity in America ended when pastors, Christians, and churches stood up and said, we don't need to do that anymore. We need to do something different. Literally, it was the influence of Christianity 
that every time America was going the wrong direction, it corrected course and said, this is the way we need to go. And so that's why when you look at the story of America, it's not the story of a perfect nation, but you do see how God used imperfect people and did great things through her. And America, even though we're not perfect, really is a very special nation where we have done more to contribute to the advance of all civilization around the world than any other nation, arguably outside of maybe Israel, kind of Old Testament times. But we just don't know that story anymore. So certainly wallbuilders.com is a website they can go to. Lots of articles for free. We're all over social media. We have a YouTube channel and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. We're all over the place. And there's also a brand new book called The American Story. If they want to just track the story and see what actually happened, it really is a storybook where we kind of show the good, the bad, the ugly. But you see that every time bad and ugly happened, God was raising up people to put a stop to that. And God used these imperfect people and did really great things through them. Wow, that was awesome, Tim. Man, I, I love that. I'm going to buy that book, honestly, right away. <laughs> so I love what you guys put out. Man, you, you have a very unique ministry. It's one of a kind, and it has made such a tre tremendous impact on me and so many others, I know for sure. So for those of you just uh, catching the tail end here of our, of our discussion, uh, this is Tim Barton uh, with Wall Builders. He's the president over there. They're doing an incredible thing. There's all kinds of ways you can support them, but Honestly, um, they're going to support you in tremendous ways. Check out their website, their articles. And uh, Tim, I really uh, love what you said too, that we've got to be defenders of truth. And the fact of the matter is, is regardless of whether it's Biden or whether it's Trump, um, our, our call is the same yes. over the next four years. And that's to continue to be salt and light to our culture and our world and people who desperately need Jesus. And uh, I always think, you know, um, the scripture that says that people have been taken captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Yeah. Um, we've just got to look at it from the perspective that, hey, these are people that God loves and he's given us information that we need to share with right. these people who still desperately need it. So thanks for Tim for, uh, for being here today. Man, it was a pleasure. It. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, I'm waving goodbye, everybody. We'll see you next week and uh, check out my website, educateforlife.org. There's all kinds of interviews up there uh, from uh, people all over the, all over the place uh, sharing amazing stories and some really fantastic interviews we've just done recently. We've really been blessed. So we'll see you next week. And uh, I hope you have a great time. Pray hard. Pray hard for our country. Pray hard for, our, for this election. Pray hard for our leadership uh, that God would move in their hearts. God bless you. Take care. Bye-bye.